Hello and welcome to At The Source. I'm Alex and this is Karis. This is a podcast about food stories. We love talking about food and eating it. And now we're on a mission to record and share interesting food stories from people all over the UK and beyond. Join us as we explore food in all its glory. Hello and welcome to today's episode of At The Source. Today we're in Canesham with Adrian Karikma. He's a well-known face on the Bristol food scene. He's the food development manager at St Monica Trust, runs B-Block Pizza in Canesham and co-founded the School of Food with friend and fellow well-known local chef Josh Eggleton. I'll be honest, we're pretty confused about how he fits it all in, especially seeing as he also gets involved in a lot of local community and charity events alongside his seemingly many day jobs. So Adrian, thanks for squeezing us in. No worries, nice to meet you. Yes, and you. And we're here at the Chocolate Quarter, which is the most amazing space. And we've had pizza and we're full to the brim. Okay, we're going to get started with our first question, which I completely forgot to write on this list for you. But what is your first memory of food? Oh, actually, that's a really good question because the reason I'm a chef is because I love food, basically. And um, I've always loved eating ever since I was a, a young man. So I've got a couple of um, got a couple of examples. Um, I remember my auntie took me to um, Guernsey and um, I think it was 1970, 1978. And uh, I was just a young, a young man. And uh, we went to a hotel and I had a prawn cocktail. Oh. And coming from Brislington, uh, you know, it was unheard of. So that was one of my first sort of like, even though it's just like prawns in Mario sauce, it just sort of like expanded my sort of like taste. And I thought, wow, this tastes really nice. And uh, I was I was really disappointed the next night it wasn't on the menu because it, it, although it was quite simple, I've never seen anything like it. And it actually, it actually blew me away. So Was it the old school martini glass with the prawns hanging out the side or? Yeah, so it was something, I think it was in a little wine glass with a, a little bit of cu- cucumber and the, the but back in the day, you know, in the 1970s, that was all, all the rage. So, uh, well, as a kid, you yeah. were just like, oh, the presentation's really cool too. But, I'm really impressed that, given that we forgot to tell you that we always ask this question, you had such a well-formed answer. <laughs> well, I've got loads of, I remember more, you know, like, um, you know, simple dishes like, like my first cheese and pickle sandwich, I always remember oh. sort of like examples of like, you know, really good food, you know, right up to, always, you know, know when I've had the best, where I've had that best food, where, where it's from, so it always sticks, so... Uh, yeah. Did you so before we started recording we found out that your dad is from Estonia. That's right, yeah. So did he cook at home or was it mostly your mum? Do you have any I mean, interesting stories about that? No, not really. I mean, we, we the, 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 I, I don't really know much about the food culture from um, Estonia to be honest, and, you know, back in the 70s my mum worked so it was just a you knew what you're having on a Monday, Tuesday. You know, I grew up on sort of like Wolves, Richmond sausages. And uh, crispy pancakes, you know, liver and mash, and it was fish fingers, and so it was quite a, you know, back back then there wasn't. When you look at food now, you know, it's transformed. It's it's absolutely amazing. But back then in the seventies and eighties, it was quite sort of, you know, it's quite set in stone. We, 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 as as a nation, we weren't really foodists, and we didn't really experiment. It's always a, a second thought. Whereas like people that live in France and Italy, that's part of their life. And, mm. you know, I've learned that over the years, you know, that, that, that they appreciate food and I, I appreciate food to, you know, sit down and have a meal. And I look forward to it. I look forward to every meal I have, whether it's a sandwich or whether it's tea or breakfast, I always look forward to it because I love kind food. Of guy. 
the other day I was driving on the motorway and I was so busy thinking about what I was going to have for lunch that I missed my exit. <laughs> so yes, I completely understand. Now, Alex mentioned that you do a lot of stuff and how you fit it all in is beyond me. Tell us about your career. I'm um, just like really potted history over the last how many years now? It's about 35 years. <laughs> I didn't want to say. No, I don't look it. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I mean, really, because I love cooking. I, I cook from a, I did sort of like food tech and stuff at school because I love food. So I just went into being a chef. Uh, went to City of Bristol College. I, think I did all my qualifications there in 1982, I think that was. And then um, I worked in, uh, I used to work in the Arnold's Court in Bristol. Okay. But it wasn't about food. It was just a really, I learned how to, like, part of this is working hard. Mm. And I learned how to sort of not, I didn't get paid much, but I worked really hard. Mm. And I didn't learn to cook till a few a few years later, to be honest. Um, I worked to Southport for a few years. Um, and then I went to France for a, a, a few months. Just it's, it's just nice to see different cultures and how people appreciate food and, you know, what, what, what they think about food. Um, and then I worked in Bristol for a bit. Then I went to um, Billsley Manor, uh, where I—that's where I got engaged. Is it? Yeah, but I'm not married to him anymore. <laughs> but, but the dinner I was, was probably beautiful. the chef. <laughs> when were you there? <laughs> I was. Oh, was there? That was. Um, that was getting on a bit now. That was. I think it was ninety-six to two thousand, something like that. Oh, that's okay. I was still at school then. So I was. I was head chef there. I had two rosettes. So you know, them. It was a good meal. Even if it wasn't you cooking, you left a good legacy behind you. And then, and then, you know, after that, I had a phone call from um, a friend who um, who was my teacher at Bristol College, and um, they were looking for a sort of like a same sort of food development manager. So I went there, and you know, um, I was there for um, eighteen years. Uh, but it was it was um, you know it was tough because you know when you when you go to an institution that doesn't really like change and things mm. are done a certain way and you can see you know what needs to change but because they've always done it like this it's uh, mm. I felt it was very important because I think training young people Absolutely. is um, um, really important I think the school of food was all about current up to date industry standards and we're going to get onto that in a minute well I'm wondering how often you're actually getting into the kitchen to do a shift behind the past because if you're sort of in the office developing, how often are you actually getting behind the tools? Well, normally, normally when it's a busy night, like Valentine's night, some on a special occasion or whatever, or if we've got the sort of like the trustees in or whatever, um, then I'll, I'll come and work or if they're short. I mean, I did a breakfast shift in um, in B Block on on um, Mother's Day, and it was like oh my <laughs> it was okay. really busy, and I was like, you know, I was I, I thought then I you know really need to keep my hand in. The grill wasn't working, and the pans weren't right and stuff. So I ordered some new pans and got the grill fixed but you you do need to keep your hand in because obviously it's something that you know you, you need you know if you, you get a bit rusty yeah if or, or if you're teaching it or you, you you're leading people you need to be sort of an expert so uh yeah and as, as i said I, I left the college three years ago and um i now work for st monica trust and um as a food development manager and uh, we I developed all of you know b block summer um we got an architect in and um we got designer in, and uh, we sort of transformed it really into what we thought would be a, um, you know, a, 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 a business model that worked. 
but you know, so Monica's trust has been good to me. They allow me to do my work with you know my sort of obviously social corporate responsibility. It's quite big now within companies. I do I do a lot of that. Mm-hmm. So they let me you know they give me time to do that and um, you know great great people to work for. If I if I need something, they're they're very supportive with that. So. And so for our listeners who don't know, St Monica Trust is a charity which is essentially focused on improving people's lives in old age. Yeah, we're... And as we were discussing before we pressed record, um, food is a, a huge part of that. And uh, you were explaining a little bit to us about the considerations that you have to have around some of your diners, essentially. Um, so I guess I faffed that one up. Um, that's okay. So, <laughs> so you work for St Monica's Trust, and there's a focus on food here because obviously we're talking about food. And when I was in Australia, I worked in an organisation that had a number of care homes, and one of the topics that often came up was around food for people in care homes or people who couldn't cook for themselves. And I think it's a really interesting topic to talk about. What are the considerations you have to make for, you know, people who are in a care home, regardless of whether they're in the dementia ward or if they're just in a self-contained unit, that sort of thing? And, you know, thinking about health as well, because I know that things like texture and nutritional value are things that often get dropped by people who work in kitchens cooking in care homes. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. I mean, St Monica Trust... We run five care homes across Bristol. The Chocolate Quarter is an, a new intergenerational project where we're trying to encourage younger people and older people. Well, it, it, it's, it, it's working. If you go to B Block now, you'll see younger people and older people mixing, and that's that's what we're trying to achieve. Obviously, running the care homes, um, we have a lot of people with special diet requirements, people with swallowing problems. Um, so we we do something called um, textured modified diets and are different grades and um, you know it's, it's pureed food basically so some of it's some of it's pureed some of it's like chopped it all depends on, on which level they are um, and if you go in the kitchen you'll see the guys have been piped so we try and make the food look look like carrots so we'll pipe the carrots on and um, we'll pipe the sort of like um, the, 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 the meat on so it looks like sausages or whatever it looks like or, I mean when I first started at the Trust, I mean, part of my sort of like, um, you know, part of what I wanted to achieve was I wanted to, you know, perhaps reduce the portion sizes. I wanted to have a, a more impact of flavour. What the food, you don't have to sort of cook food for hours and hours to make it edible. So I wanted to cook it properly. I wanted to keep all the flavour, use a bit of seasoning. As, as people get older, they, 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 they lose their sort of like, their taste buds. But as you said, you know, you know, we, we have people in our retirement villages that that's all we look forward to the food so we need to make sure that our food is you know always spot on cooked properly um talk about i mean health and nutrition is really important for us because you know when people are inactive you know it's easy to sort of like eat the wrong food so we we have recently we we're always developing our menus um and we're looking at ways of making them more healthy so we've removed because when you look at the dynamics of certain age groups, you know, the people that retire now, we're used to sort of like quite heavy sausage rolls, those types of things, and mm. pasties. And so we're trying to take, reduce the sort of like the, the sort of um, heavy pastry products off the menu and put lighter products on, 
like before we do like two desserts, but now one of the desserts is fresh fruit salad, so they're getting more sort of fibre in their diet, and it's mm-hmm. better for digestive systems, and you know it's had an impact on their sort of movement as well because. Someone's just eating all day. They're not going to want to get up and do anything. Mm. So we've sort of like in, introduced um, new new menus, more more healthier food, lentils, you know, beans, that sort of thing. Trying to trying to reduce the meat, but add other ingredients yeah. as well. We, we constantly we're always updating. Obviously, we've got Chris in the kitchen here, Chris Wicks, and uh, he brings a wealth of experience. And uh, his mum had dementia, so that's why he was inspired to come okay. in make you know so. It's about impact of flavour, so making sure that, you know, it, although the food's pureed, it's like full of flavour, it's seasoned and it's got some a nice texture and it's actually nice to eat. And Chris was the head chef at Bell's Diner. In yeah, Bristol. Chris Chris was a so head chef. He, he knows what he's doing. He isn't someone who's just pureeing vegetables and shoveling them out. Exactly. Chris is a great chef and it's good to have him in, in, in summer dining as well because we want to take the food to the next level here. I mean, we're, you know, it's on the outskirts of, King, outskirts of Kingsham. And we feel we're in a you know in a good position and uh, to, to to move the business forward. But as you know, as far as the our residents go, I mean, you know, we've got it's so diverse the different types of menus and stuff. We have two people just making um, the our, our, our residents' food every day, and you know, the, most of they have a choice of three dishes on each, you know, for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and um, you know, they get a really good selection. It's all seasonal as well, which it wasn't before. So we're sure all our food seasonal and um, tasty and nutritious. I think the thing that comes across from what you're saying and from what we saw when we just had a, a walk around the kitchen is that it, it isn't the food isn't modified just because somebody is old. It's modified to their dietary requirements, but there's still that element of excitement. The plates are dressed nicely. And I think it comes back to that idea of dignity, that these people are, are enjoying their last few years in the best ways possible. I mean, the chocolate water is beautiful, the food looks great, and why shouldn't they have that mm. any more than we should? Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. That, that's spot on. It's about dignity and you know, well-being, and we're looking after them. And you know, when they eat their meal, they enjoy the food, and it's although it's pure, and it's still really tasty. Mm. So, still talking about age. So, from old age to early years, we also want to talk to you about the school of food. So, can you explain a bit about what it is and tell us where the idea came from? Well. The idea came from sort of me and Josh, really, because when I worked for City Bristol College, um, I got to know Josh. I sort of formed a chef's forum, and I got to know Josh really well. And he's always, you know, he'd always give his time to come to the college and inspire young people, inspire the chefs there. But we struggled. We were always struggling to find, like, people to come through the, you know, young people to come into um, into hospita- hospitality and catering. Why is that? I don't know. I just, I, I, I think, I think... Some of it is um, some of it's down to education um, and careers and pathways. I mean, hospitality and catering—it's not like it used to be. I mean, it, it it can be good pay, it can be good working hours. I just don't think it's explained to people. There's literally hundreds of jobs in Bristol right now. Bristol has got some of the best restaurants in the country. It's so diverse. We've got so many different cultures here. Mm. And I, I really enjoy eating in Bristol. We're blessed with the amount of restaurants we've got. We are. So, and a lot of people, if you phone, if you phone restaurants, they'll say, oh, that's what the common denominator is, we can't find any chefs. Or perhaps, you know, food service is just, just important, customer service, and that's what we have a big focus on here. Mm. Do you think it needs a bit of a uh, 
overhaul in some ways. Well, I think with the School of Food, I think we've got the right model. I'll talk to you a little bit about the School of Food. So we wanted a model that was, um, you know, we felt some of the stuff that the college was delivering was the curriculum was a little bit perhaps old school. We understand that people need to know how to cook, um, you know, the old sort of dishes that were on them, you know, like Demi Glass and Beshmar and those sorts of things. But they're not, you know, nowadays food's moved on, it's a lot healthier, stocks have moved on. So we wanted to bring a sort of the new style of cooking into the curriculum, which is, you know, which is easy enough to do, it's just having the skill to do it. Mm. So we, 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 we sort of had a discussion, um, me and Josh, and uh, we decided that we start our own, the School of Food. So um, it was initially started by me, Josh, and Western College, and um, we wanted it to be not part of a college, we wanted it to be separate to a college, you know, to show to people that it was the School of Food, and you come to the School of Food, it's a chef school run by chefs, um, so if you were learning about meat, we'd get a top butcher in, and he would butcher a whole you know, um, a pig or a lamb and he cut a sirloin up, he cut some steaks up so you could see where the meat came from. Mm. So a lot of a lot of education now doesn't really mm. um, doesn't really go into detail and with fish as well we get a, and they'd all come and do it. They'd all they'd all bring the meat in and they they, they, they do it because they want to help they, they understand the, the the relevance of um, food to our industry. Yeah. And you know it's about people giving their own time but not trying to make money out of things. Same with the fish people. They they they, they come in and they um they they bring a selection of fish and they, they fillet it and gut it and then you know our guys apprentices have a go and they do it as well and um you know so they're learning from the masters and then we have we use Joe's Bakery like Martin comes in and and or we go to Martin and we do like master class in bakery so whatever we do and you know it's always like you know like Josh's chefs will come into a a master class. On pasta, Rob will come in from Root and do a masterclass on on shellfish. So, you know, all our masterclass sessions are actually, you know, run by, you know, the best chefs, and that's the way education should be. It's getting it the, should be run by top chefs. It's getting the the apprentices are in the industry as they're learning. Yeah, they're kind of almost learning on the job in a way. Yeah, I I, I, I went for the apprenticeship route. I feel the apprenticeship route is the best route. So they go to college. Like twenty percent of their time is spent in education; the rest of the time is spent in in work. The issue is we need to encourage more and more people to come from school into sort of apprenticeships because there's literally like hundreds there. And um, that, that's interesting, just because in Australia that is really the only way mm. that you go from school to working in a kitchen as you go through an apprenticeship. Well. When I worked for City Bristol College, when, when, when the minimum age for education went to 18, so you couldn't use school till you were 18 or 19, whatever it was, unless you got an apprenticeship, we thought everyone was going to come to, um, we, we thought everyone was going to come to college. But uh, there's two things. The government had a, a huge focus on like edu- uh, English and maths, because they were yeah. saying like, that Wolf Report identified the fact that like there was like I don't know, 7 million people that couldn't read and write in our workforce. And they wanted to create a global econ- economy to make sure that we could, um, you know, we were like world leaders or whatever. Uh, so in that process, like being at college, all the focus was on English and maths, mm. and uh, not not really on the on the actual qualification. It was all English and maths. And when someone's been to school for eleven years, the last thing they want to do is <laughs> English and maths. Our our sort of our profession is uh, like hands on. It's not an academic profession. But equally. 
you need to know the names of ingredients and probably at least an idea of how to spell them. You need to be able to write recipes or read recipes. You need to be able to understand measurements. So there is a really good element, and we've had conversations um, before, and B. Wilson was one of them, that learning about food is actually helping you learn lots of other things at the same time. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You obviously need a certain level of English and maths, but I think the levels they were like going to the focus were, yeah, was wrong. Yeah, was no, but that, that's much. what I mean. So don't, but, they didn't understand that obviously. But, but obviously, like you know, they were doing like like stuff like algebra and stuff like that, which wasn't really no relevant to to um, <laughs> to what we're doing. So you know what I'm saying is like the schools then kept people on till they were 19, and they they still do now. And for me, that I think the schools they create all these bespoke qualifications. The thing is, they don't have any relevance to work. Yeah. They'll get a qualification, but it won't give them the skills to get a job. Absolutely. You come to the School of Food, you get the education, you get an updated, up-to-date education, and you get the skills, because you're in work, to be able to do the job. Yeah. That's the difference. And it's not, it's not, you know, because hospitality and caring is so diverse, it's not just about, you know, like working, you know, it's not about working for a chef who's going to, there are chefs out there that obviously are hard. That's because the standards are so high. Mm. But certain people, they, they know what to expect. If you want to go and work in a mm. Michelin-style restaurant, you, you know, you, you need to put the hours and stuff. But I think, you know, talking to Joss, I mean, you know, he realises the, 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 the sort of like pressure on his chefs. And I think he sort of like changes right. So they do like three-day, four-day weeks or whatever. Do a few more hours, but just giving them some time back. But that has moved on in the last few years. It's just not all about... You can't work people to death, and that's what mm. that's unfortunately that's the way the industry comes across to some people. Yeah, but yeah. things things have moved on, and it's not it's not you know there are I mean you know for instance B block there I mean the guys come in they 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 work eight to they work an early they might work a late they don't you know we pay them well they get lunch break they get lunch they get treated well and I think for for me it's about you know it's people first for me not profit yeah that's the way that's the way i, I, I that's my sort of you know developing my leadership skills yeah obviously we're getting the right people profit will come i mean profit's important well that's it you treat your people properly they treat your customers properly your customers keep giving you money therefore it's a profit. Great cycle. It's, it's just the way that it works if someone wants to become a school of food apprentice what should they do Right, if they want to be an apprentice and you really like cooking and that's the way you want to go, then go onto the website, School of Food, and it's got all the details there. It will link to Western College and then someone will come out and see you um, and sign you up. Um, and then it's about getting a job, really. Mm. Do you um, have to be super, super, super passionate about food? Well, I, I would have said yes, it but it helps. But obviously... You do need to have some passion about food to be working food. There's no point otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you need to sort of have a... a I've always, like... I've always sort of, like, like, worked hard. I've always grafted, so I know what graft is. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, I think, me and Josh were doing a, a, a breakfast for a fair share. I was there. And, uh, and then we were doing, like, a charity dinner for um, Grievance Encounter down at Ashton Court. Um, it was like a 15 hour shift wow yeah <laughs> and again actually thank you so much for a very natural segue into my next question we want to work out exactly how much you do because looking at you from the outside you do so much positive work for 
different charitable events all over the city and there you've just literally touched on two and these are things that you're going above and beyond to do to help support charities in the community so what are you currently involved in on that front? Yeah I'm I'm involved in quite a lot I think it, it, it provides richness and I think I love the fact that food brings happiness to people and it it can change people's lives so but I've learned that sort of I learned that over the last sort of 20 years so when I was at college, I sort of started a network and working with different charities. And then we were saying Monica Trust, I've sort of carried that on. And it sort of opened more doors, to be honest. But I work, as I said, I work, work at Fairsale, I work at Matthew Tree Project. Um, I work with um, 91 Ways, which is obviously, like, you know, Cotton is great and stuff. I'm a, I'm a trustee for them. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going up to do some, make some pizzas with... Um, um, Matthew Tree Project up in Hartcliffe. Sorry, for those of us who don't know, Matthew Tree Project. Yeah, Matthew Tree Projects are uh, a charity that um, they help people that are have lost benefits okay. and don't have any money. So they provide food, and they also provide like counselling and like work on the computer to try and get, you know, trying to get trying to get their sort of like um, trying to get money for them and stuff. So. Sounds really holistic that they're actually trying to fix a few different yeah, things. Yeah, there's there's two sides. It's not just a food bank. It's actually trying to help them, you know, with with with, with money side as well. I'm doing a we're doing a charity breakfast next Thursday for the Vent, which is an adventure playground in Lot Lees, um, because I went round there. Um, I did a barbecue in the summer, not barbecue. Did some pizzas for them on a, on a, on a it was like a a fate. Yeah. And it's pouring rain, and um, basically, we didn't think it was going to be busy. They were like, "Oh yeah, no, a handful of like, there's about two hundred people." Uh-huh. And it's pouring, yeah, it's pouring rain. I was, we were under these gazebos, and I was sort of in between. And when the water oh, filled no. up, it kept running down my back. Oh. I was trying to roll these pizzas out, and everyone was like cramming around trying to get under the gazebo because um, obviously we, you know, um, it was wet. But we, but that's what food does. They queued for it because it was nice. Yeah. And uh, they all enjoyed it. But one thing that struck me where I was like, you know, when I drove through Lockley, um, I've never, you know, I was brought up in Brislington and I didn't realise, you know, I, walked, I drove through and there was a pub that had burnt down and, you know, it was quite, you know, it's a, it's a deprived area. Mm. And when I went into the events, um, it, was, it was summer holidays and they were saying they couldn't open because um, they didn't have funding to open. So, you know, I... I I just can't fathom that out. That you know, and that's so difficult because that's the summer holidays when kids are kids, off school. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's like knife crime, you know, gangs, yeah. drugs, you know, abuse. It's just yeah. uh, so. I we we sort of got talking, and I said that I'd, I'd, I'd arrange a breakfast for them, and we'll raise some money. Yeah, we run we run market breakfast every sort of two months, so that's for different charities. We do um, or feeding the homeless as well as like caring at Christmas. Yeah. Um, and feeding the homeless, they work in Western as well as Bristol, and um, but with them, I'm just trying to help, help them raise their profile a little bit so people know so they can get what they do is they go out every night with food, so they're looking for restaurants to donate sort of food that's already cooked. They don't want ingredients because they can't cook it. There's mm. no kitchen, so they go to sort of like local. They go to Greg's. They go to sort of like local Indians and people donate meals and they take it out. Fantastic, but it's well. I mean, I went out into I went to Western a couple of weeks ago, and it's like it's pretty. You don't realise how sort of like you know people are homeless. It's not people always. Look, I mean, I did when I was a few years ago. You know, you think, oh yeah, go and get a job, but it's not. 
there's obviously what I've learned that you know their lives are miserable mm. they don't choose to be homeless something happens to them to make them homeless yeah, and absolutely. when they become homeless it's just you how know, do you, you get would, back out yeah of that? I mean that's the mm. thing I don't know the answer to that I don't know the answer yeah. to what what you know there's a massive problem there's like thousands of people that are homeless but I don't know the answer but if I can help in some way you know I mean it's just but there was a young girl there she, was, she must have been about 20 and it was like she shouldn't have been homeless she shouldn't have been on the streets it's just you know it's like really sad yeah and um, they do quite a lot in Bristol as well it's not just food for them either it's like coats and deodorants mm. and toothpaste all you know everything you take for granted mm. but actually going out and seeing it for myself has really open my eyes to, you know, what, you know, yeah. people turn a, turn a blind eye to it. You don't realise how many, you know, homeless people there are around. It's just mm. literally, you know, it's getting worse and worse. And, I, I, you know, as I said, I don't know the solution, but if I can help with, like, providing my food or networking or whatever, then, then I will. The work that you're doing is fantastic. And a big, long list of charities that you're supporting, and we'll make sure that we put links to all of them on our show notes. If only there were more people like you. Oh, thank you very much. I haven't finished yet. Oh, <laughs> no, on, work, keep going. I work with um, Bristol Sport Foundation as well. They, they do like, um, work with like, young, young people. And uh, so we, got, we run a, a work experience programme in um, summer dining. Mm. So you know, kids with learning difficulties come in, and they, they, they love because it's difficult for those guys to find jobs. Mm. Because they will be only doing jobs of cleaning and that sort of, you know, that, that sort of nature. So we try and prepare them best we can for work. So we run, um, yeah, we're at Bristol Rugby. So they, they, they've got a really good program down at um, Bristol Sport, and it's, it's great to work with those guys. They also run something called Bright Sparks, which is like um, kids that are sort of like not going to be expelled, just on the verge of being expelled from the school. Right. So they sort of take them and give them a different. Cause they're all practical learners, not mm. not academic, and they learn differently. Learn and they thing. rebel. They rebel. Yeah, I was a practical learner, and they rebel against sort of like all the academic and the lessons. And but it's just because they they learn in a different way, mm-hmm. and they sort of take them to one. You know, give them a different type of education, and we have them here. They make some pizzas, and you know. But when they make something from start to finish, when they make a when they make a pizza and actually see it from start, and then they cook it. It like transform them because it's self esteem, and then, and nine times out of ten, they want to take some home for their parents to try because they're proud of mm. they've actually achieved something. And it's people like that that we want to take into our industry and like you know, transform through, through food and um, yeah. I love how you find ways in all of the things that you are doing. You find ways to incorporate other bits of things that you're doing. So it's all kind of. It doesn't look like there's any one thing that you do in a silo. It's all mm. interconnected. Yeah, it's all everything's linked in. All the suppliers I work with, they're all like if I've, if I've got an event on, they donate, donate food and stuff. And uh, but me, me and Josh are working on a on a on a big project down at the fruit market. It's going to be we want to create a food hub. Um, and we, we found a we found a building. Uh, well, it's the old it's the old cafe down at the fruit market. It's been empty for fifteen years, but it's an old like nineteen seventy sort of. Um, Breeze Block building, and you know, Bristol's all that sort of like part of that, isn't it? Mm. So, we want to keep that sort of like character. And then, um, so we're trying to, we're trying to, so we've done a design and stuff, and we want to turn it into, um, we want to turn half it into a like a, a teaching kitchen mm, so cool. we can run the school of food from there, but also we can run like um, educational classes for for kids with like behavior issues, mm. so kids that you know don't. 
don't fit in at school, whatever, they can come and cook and then, um, or kids with learning difficulties or ex-offenders or, you know, young offenders. Because, you know, the, the money it costs to send someone to prison mm-hmm. is colossal. So yeah. if we can keep some of that, mm. keep that down. And then the other side of the building is a production kitchen where we're going to take food from fair share and cook it into healthy meals for vulnerable people. So uh, that's that's um, amazing. I'm sorry, but the power yeah. of food. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The power I was about to burst into song then, but <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're we're looking for we're currently looking. Yeah, there is funding available for that, but we need to run it as a as a, we need an income stream to to make mm. that successful. So yeah. we need to sort of like um yeah. So I I can't believe how much you do. I, I think we literally just scraped the surface, and you've just listed all of these amazing things. And I feel sad that we have to move off this topic. Um, but as you probably know, we usually write our questions ourselves. Um, but this week we took to Twitter to see what our listeners wanted to ask you. And we had so many that we've only been able to choose three. You're a popular guy. And some of them we've sort of touched on a little bit. We have touched on some of them a little bit. Um, but I think, should we ask the one from Adam Garrett first? We should. So Adam Garrett is a YouTuber and old school blogging buddy of mine from Leicester. who right. is a big source fan. Yeah. Thanks, Adam. Hi, Adam. Um, he says, with the food industry being known for its highly disciplined and extremely high-pressured environment, what would you like to see change to help with the mental well-being of chefs all round? Hi, Adam. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think thing I did touch on it briefly earlier on I mean all chefs realize that um, you know finding good staff is you know it's difficult and I think the way people are treated does make a big difference to one the end product and and your business so I think there are there are um, I mean there are there are chefs out there that that perhaps um, there's some a bit tougher than others but obviously if you work in a a mission star restaurant then the standard is high but I think um you know, talking to um, Josh and, and, and other chefs, I think they realise that, you know, the younger people coming in into the industry, they need to be treated, you know, respectfully. And um, obviously, sort of in the heat at the moment, things sort of like can get a bit um, fired up. But I think things are changing. Uh, and, you know, I like to think that, in you know, the chefs are, they are up for sort of like finding ways of, 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 of making it. But obviously... You know, um, like 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 Adam said, it is it is a high pressure environment. But you do need to be you do need to sort of have some sort of character to be able to deal with that yeah. that pressure. But I, I always um I always loved it when it was busy and you're under pressure and stuff. You you, you get like a bit of banter, like good vibe, and yeah. you know everyone's working. It's about, it's, it's like a, a machine. Everyone's yeah. working together, and and it's like a football team. Everyone needs to be sort of um yeah. you know um you know on the same page and. You know, we're same as front of house and back of, back house. Just when I was younger, there was always a bit of rivalry between. You know, we we give the restaurant a bit of grief, but you know, it's not. You think you do that, and then you go and speak to a customer. It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So I think it's about seeing things. Um, you know, from a business point of view, is that's you know, the more obviously the busier a restaurant, the more money you're going to take, and that's ultimately you know. That's what that's what you want, but to get to that, you need the right people working for you. And you Absolutely. need you need like really good customer. And if the chefs are upset, and the you know, I won't have any of that. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I like all our staff to be treated fairly and, and properly. And you know, for me, that's you know, that's things times have moved on now. And, and yeah. So the next question 
it comes from London food blogger Emma at Supper in the Suburbs, and she, you've kind of answered this, but aside from getting into an apprenticeship, what advice would you give to someone considering entering the industry? There's two routes really you can go. I mean, because you can't work until you're 18, then you either need to do an apprenticeship or you can, you can get, I think the colleges do do full-time courses as well. So if you felt the apprenticeship, you weren't ready to work, then there is um, there is full-time college and you get a part-time job. So I think all, all of it is, I think for me, is getting a, having a little taster. We take um, quite a few people on part-time and they all end up, you know, going through the system in, you know, whatever side they, they want. You know, we, we took on a, uh, a girl who was a chef and then she works front of house now, but mm. she sort of like prefers front of house. So mm. I think it's about most, I think, I think it is important to sort of decide where you want to be. There's one of the problems with the apprentices is we get people that go into jobs and then they don't like it after a few months. Mm. So you need to make sure that it's the right job for you and you're going to, it's no point in, you know, an apprenticeship is sort of an 18 month sort of program so you need to be there for 18 months and if you've just finished an 18 month like um, apprenticeship you don't really you know the chef doesn't want you to leave because he's just invested in your training so mm. um, I think I think that's important so, so I think knowing that's the, where you want to be yeah, from the beginning I think definitely part time job definitely you know if you if you enjoy cook at home and buy cookery books eat out and you know you speak to Chris he's always eat, you know we talk about cookery books and eating out and just making stuff at home, experimenting, you know, watching cookery programs on the TV. Because like, it's not it's not like it was in, you know, when I sort of mm. grew up where if you train, it's like, you know, it's actually brilliant now. There's that yeah. much. There's so much inspiration out there. There as is, well. yeah, yeah. What's and your favourite cooking programme? I don't I don't really watch cooking programmes. Yeah, I didn't think you were going to say that. I was like, hmm, should I ask? <laughs> <laughs> I, there is one on, uh, on, yeah, there is one on that. On, on, I, like, I like sort of like... Um, you know, there was one on um, uh, Netflix like that, that I quite like. Ooh, with, um, which one is it? I can't remember what it's called now. With David Chang, Ugly no, Delicious. No, it's got. Um, <laughs> I love that. It's got. Um, have you heard of the Bronson? He's a rapper from New York. No. <laughs> and um, that sounds good. Yeah, he 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 goes around all around the. Yeah, he's a big guy with like a mm. big big beard and stuff and. Uh, he goes all around the world just trying to find out different um, action Bronson. That sounds really good. I've worked my way through most of the Netflix food shows, but I don't think I've come across and that he, one. He, he, he's got this brilliant song that's called Compliments to the Chef. <laughs> Check it out. Okay. Yeah. Compliments to the Chef. It's like, you know Snoop yeah. Dogg has got a cookbook. Has he? Yeah, yeah but that's because he's besties with Martha Stewart. Yeah. Oh, right, I didn't know that. And, you know, most obvious <laughs> French shows ever. Last question. Last question. This is from Steve Ashworth, yeah. who you oh, probably know. He's a good mate, Steve, yeah. Um, well-known food face in the southwest. He and actually suggested we talk to you, so oh, yeah, I think yeah, thanks, Steve. we're here. Thanks, Steve. Um, past guest as Cheers. well. So, last question. What is your go-to meal when you've got a rare night off and you're just at home? Well, uh, it would be like, for me, it would be like um, steak and ribeye steak and peppercorn sauce. Yeah. With like homemade chips. Yes. For me, that's like, because like, 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 you know, when you look at how far food has moved over, my, my style of cooking is a lot of fairly, um, that purist, I'm, I'm, I'm cooked for many years and sort of like simple ingredients, seasonal ingredients. And, um, you know, I just like to, like to cook things that are nice and tasty. So simple, I'm not a complicated chef, 
So steak and peppercorn sauce and chips. And, and for pudding? Yeah. Um, for pudding. That's a real treat, having pudding at home, isn't it? Yeah, I like... Um, what do I like? Well, I did a dinner from 91 Ways a few years ago, and I, I did it on all my childhood-like memories. I know what's coming. And uh, what would it be Sherry Trifle for me? Oh, I thought it was going to be an act of prom. Oh, well, yeah. Well, yeah. So when I do my, uh, yeah, when I do my homeless one for uh, for Josh, coming for Christmas, it, uh, I'm trying to get Arctic Roll. Yeah. Old school Arctic Roll, yeah. Thank you so much. No worries, thanks. Adrian, thanks. And it's been brilliant talking thanks. to you and I feel like we really only have scratched the surface. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll no doubt like some of our others. So please do take the time to listen to our back catalogue, which you can find on any podcast platform you use or our website at thesource.com. If you really enjoyed it, consider supporting us through Patreon. In return for helping us make the podcast even better, we're offering special behind-the-scenes recordings and more. Take a look at patreon.com slash at the source for more information. Lastly, we're on Twitter and Instagram as at the source. We're sharing visuals and talking food. Come and join us.